welcome to the Holistic Author Show. I'm your host, Kit Kilstow, the author yogi. Each episode, we'll talk about how to recraft the publishing paradigm to help you take care of what matters, you and your creativity. Discussing topics ranging from the publishing business to physical and mental health, and even mind-body balance as you juggle the many duties of being an author today, the Holistic Author Show will help you make the choices you need to craft the right publishing career for you. And now, this week's show. Hello, and welcome to the first full episode of the Holistic Author Show. I'm Kit Kalestow, your host, and today I want to start by talking about the paradigm of publishing and how it has shifted over the years. I feel like this is an important place to start. It's the bedrock of what I do as the author yogi because we need to shift the publishing paradigm to find a way that works for us. You see, a paradigm is not built for the people that operate within it. In fact, as I often do, I turn to the dictionary to define a term before I discuss it. And in this case, according to the Oxford Dictionary, a paradigm is a typical example or pattern of something. It's a model. It also could be a worldview underlying the theories and methodology of a particular scientific subject. And so when we talk about the publishing paradigm, we are talking about the worldview or the prevailing model of how publishing works. And let me tell you, in the 20 years since I have been published in book-length fiction, that has changed a lot. The paradigm has gone from a strictly gatekeeping type model where if you were not able to get accepted by an agent or a publisher, you basically were not able to be published unless you went the Vanity Press model, which was then and still now frowned upon where you pay an exploitative company lots more money than you really need to in order to get your book published. The paradigm then shifted, and this happened with the advent of ebooks. So I was first published in digital ebook fiction in 2002. And let me tell you, in 2002, you had to explain to people what ebooks were. In fact, the company produced these little itty bitty CDs. They were called mini CDs and they held the book files. There were a couple of different other companies out there. I can't think of the name, but they produced big CDs, normal size CDs like you would get like for music. And these CDs had their own proprietary reader in them and were really designed for reading on a computer, desktop, or laptop. Because of course, back in 2002, that's what most people had. With the advent of the smartphone, the advent of the Kindle, about 2009, um, 2009 to like 2013, and within those five years, publishing really turned on its head. And self-publishing, which is different from vanity publishing, and we'll want to go ahead and um, define those things. That way people know what we're talking about. But self-publishing where you publish, produce, and distribute your book and you pay all the cost of that, whether that's paying for a cover art, paying for editing, paying for somebody to format that. 
and again, you're working with service providers who do this service for you, as opposed to paying one company to do everything for you for outlandish promises. And that's vanity publishing. Vanity publishing, you may have heard of like Ex Libris or iUniverse. There are these companies that say for 3000 or if you upgrade to this package, it's $5,000 we will guarantee A, B, C, D and publish your book. And again, that cost is usually rather substantial and a lot more than if you simply paid for an editor or a book formatter yourself out of pocket, even if you were going to go into print and digital as well. The traditional model of publishing was you go through an agent, you go through an editor, you get accepted either again by an agent or by a publishing house. They do not ask you to pay them any money. In fact, those of us who have been around publishing long enough may have heard of Yogg's Law, which is money flows to the author. I am a huge proponent of Yogg's Law. It is something I have lived and died by for a very long time. And it's why my focus is on self-publishing. The corollary to Yogg's Law with self-publishing is that the author does need to pay for regular services to produce the book, but you're not paying for more than that. For example, if I pay somebody to do cover art for me, I'm paying a reasonable market rate for cover art. I've researched, I have my choice of cover artists. And so I'm choosing somebody that works with my genre, works with my budget. If you quote unquote pay for cover art through a, a vanity press, you're usually again gonna pay several times that market rate. You don't have a choice in cover artists. You can't go back and say, hey, I need this looked at, I need this updated. You pretty much, you get what you get. And that happens also to some extent in the traditional publishing world where your publisher creates cover art and you have to use that cover art even if it is really ugly. And I say that because I have been there as an author. I have gotten some fugly cover art and it is so difficult to promote a book when you think the cover is absolutely atrocious. That's a conversation for another podcast. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with traditional publishing. We're dealing with vanity publishing and self-publishing. And so that's kind of the, those are the three models that we're really working with. And there are new models as well, such as hybrid authors who both publish through a publisher or have an agent as well as self-publish. And the hybrid model is one of those paradigm changes that came out. So let's take a time travel machine. We're gonna go back to the mid nineties, which is when I really started pursuing a publishing career. Back then, and I would say even up until about the start of that Kindle boom, your real gatekeepers were those editors and agents. And there was an entire industry of organizations, writing classes, writing tutorials. I spent many a summer taking classes at the Iowa Summer Writing Festival at the University of Iowa, which was an offshoot of the actual writers program, which is very well known at the University of Iowa. 
I, you know, was a member at that time of the RWA, Romance Writers of America. I'm not anymore for a great many reasons, but back then the real focus was on creating basically a way for writers to learn about the basics of writing. You learned about plot, characterization, how to write a synopsis, how to write a query letter. And there was a lot of really bringing up authors through the ranks. They have the Golden Heart Award, which is an unpublished author putting out novels. And those novels often went on to be picked up by editors and agents by virtue of the fact that somebody won the golden heart that's just within the romance within science fiction there is and still is the clarion west writers group there is one and the name escapes me but there's a group in kansas um lawrence kansas i believe at the college there they do a program for speculative fiction writers there are writers groups critique groups i actually met my spouse at a writer's critique group run by a local author we were both science fiction fantasy authors at the time and you there was this whole big i call it industry but a lot of it was unpaid labor being done on behalf of published authors such as the one that ran the group that I was a part of or unpaid labor on the part of many many judges in the Romance Writers of America um, ecosystem where we would read and judge the books whether it's for Rita or whether it was for the Golden Heart and every RWA chapter has its own contest and again those judges are unpaid there there was a whole ecosystem of unpaid labor that basically was devoted to nurturing authors to take these very few slots at the publishing company and writing was segmented enough back then that if you were writing um, say for silhouette desire as as i was trying to if you write for the silhouette desire line that word count and that category of novel is so specific that you couldn't then submit that same manuscript to the special edition or the harlequin american romance or the harlequin intrigue if you're writing romantic suspense you write a romantic suspense you submit it to harlequin intrigue they turn it down you really didn't have anywhere else to go with that because everything was so siloed so that was the 90s that was the early 2000s and it was into that environment that digital first publishers such as Ellera's Cave and Lucid Sowen Publishing all of those early adopters who are actually not not around anymore they came into this environment and the world changed for me personally when the world changed I was focusing on my publishing company and I was focusing basically on self-publishing through my own company as well as publishing all the authors that I was working with at the time as well so I admit um, you almost could laugh about it that due to a variety of factors I pretty much every time publishing changed I was focused somewhere else and so I kept missing the boat um, it is what it is part of again and part of my belief is that we can build the publishing career that works for us I especially dealing with some of the things that I've dealt with here in 2022 I am a firm believer that 
my publishing choices happened for a reason. And one of my biggest fears back in the 90s, because you didn't have options, was what if I get stuck writing for a publisher and I decide I don't want to write those types of books anymore? In that case, it was like romance and erotic romance. And that's actually a conundrum that I am personally wrestling with right now and thinking about how I want to approach this genre. Again, topic for another podcast, but I think it's important to note that those of us who have been in the industry for a long time, you don't automatically catch those waves as the publishing paradigm changes. And that is okay. I think it's important that we forgive ourselves, that we give ourselves grace for not getting in when the getting was good. That's part of that capitalist belief that everything is a zero sum game. So to think about that, it, the Kindle came out, and I'd have to Google the exact year that the Kindle came out, but Amazon creating the Kindle basically normalized ebooks. Not only that, it gave a specific device and a specific format for people who read ebooks. Before that, you had to use or choose from a plethora of devices. I had a Dell PDA. I finally got rid of it when I was cleaning out boxes just a couple of years ago. But I had a Dell personal data assistant. Um, it was smaller than my smartphone is now. And it read Microsoft Lit files. There's a blast from the past for you. And so you might have a PDA or a Blackberry or something like that with a screen that you could read books on. But for the most part, you were reading them in an app such as Microsoft Reader or just an Adobe PDF reader. You were reading those files on your computer pretty much the way that you'd read like a Word document on your computer. There was no bells and whistles. There was no turning the page type experience. When the Kindle came out, the Kindle changed all that because you suddenly, even though it was a flat tablet and little did we know how these flat tablets were going to come to rule our life, you were holding something in your hands and holding something substantial and about book size, which was the tactile part of reading that really didn't exist with eBooks up and until that point. And Amazon's Kindle changed the game. The biggest way that the Amazon Kindle changed the game was not only do you get to upload your own books and publish your own books, but you could then reach readers yourself. And the question became more so than it is now, but you know, back then you didn't really think about, you thought you had to have a publisher. The question or the paradigm shift went from I need an agent, I need a publisher to, what is this agent or publisher really doing for their cut? When I wrote for LRSK, for example, if I'm remembering correctly, I got 65% of what they received for each sale of the book. And we'll say theoretically, because there were serious payment issues with LRSK. But that 35%, 
obviously was not a small chunk of change because that 35% of the sales price from all the authors and all the books they sold allowed Ellerus Cave to put on conventions, drive around the country in a fancy bus, all sorts of stuff. And again, there may be questions about how they use that money and some of the choices they made with that. But even me as a small press, I had about 75 authors at our peak. And the money that the press made, even just for us, I mean, it was, it stayed in the business, but it was, it wasn't anything to sneeze at. I mean, I couldn't quit my day job with it, but it certainly helped um, as far as my percentage that I got paid as the editor, the money that I earned as the publisher of the company. And it was all good. You know, there, it, it certainly, there was a reason why I did that for 10 years. And so when you think about that, the question then became, well, if I can upload the book myself, if I have a way to format the book, if I have people who can edit the book, and it's important to keep in mind that publishing, no matter what genre you're in, is an extremely small world and an extremely small business. What that meant is that, especially in the romance world, which is where I have most of my experience, so that's where I'm speaking from, but in the romance world, you may work with the same editor who worked for three or four different publishers because, again, they were trying to make a living editing books, and so you work with multiple clients. You can then ask that person, hey, I'm thinking about self-publishing this book. Could you edit it for me? You know, what would you charge? Yeah, that works, you know, and make that arrangement. And so one by one, slowly but surely, authors figured out that if they pay for the, the editing, if they find a cover artist, and again, the same thing with cover artists, many cover artists worked across multiple publishers, the cover artist that I used worked for other publishers, then if you start paying for that on your own, that meant that if you publish the book on your own, you got to keep 100% of the money made which is where I, as a publisher, started asking myself the ethical question of what am I doing for my authors that they can't do for themselves? The answer is, in my case, because I was a small author in a single person operation, there wasn't a lot. And so I decided after 10 years to close my publishing company, release the books back to the authors, and let them earn 100% of that money so they could go ahead and reach their readers because I was doing the best I could. But obviously, you know, I had some authors that were doing great and I did not want to take money out of their pockets if they didn't have to pay that money, so to speak. I mean, they weren't paying me because it was a royalty split, but I think you know what I mean. I mean, if why should they give me 35% if they're willing to do all the work and take all the risk, but also get all the reward? as well as I had some health and personal stuff going on. And so I closed my publishing company. And I feel like that was a real shift in the paradigm. The publishing company officially closed in 2016, but was really winding down about 2013, 2014, 2015, as you know, contracts came up and authors chose 
to go in a different direction with their work. And that's when the publishing really shifted from, I have just these few publishers I work with, Kindle came self-publishing. And that's the paradigm now. You have basically three choices, plus those vanity subsidy presses that you really should just run away from. If somebody wants you to pay them to publish your work, they better have a damn good reason. And most agent um, organizations, most publisher organizations agree that it is bad ethics and bad business for an editor, an agent, I'm sorry, not an editor, a publisher, an agent, somebody like that to ask for a reading fee, to ask in some way, shape or form to be paid other than their normal commissions to edit or promote or to publish or promote your work. So the publishing paradigm today and what we are dealing with is Authors can either still choose to go the traditional route with the publishers, although that market is becoming increasingly consolidated. And there's a lot of gray areas. A lot of agencies are now setting up boutique publishing companies. A lot of agents are trying to sell to some independent digital presses. And that starts to get really gray and well beyond the scope of a short podcast here. But I've got some icky feelings about that. I mean, it, unless you are dealing with multiple rights issues and multiple world issues, unless that agent can get you more money or a bigger advance, what is that agent doing that again, you can't do on your own by having a lawyer look over the contract. And is that agent really acting in your best interests if they're only selling your books to small independent digital publishers? And I got people will disagree with me. I may be old school in this. I completely admit that. But the traditional landscape is becoming increasingly muddied in part because there are publishers out there as there always have been and I should probably put this on my list for a podcasting episode of you know what are the bad signs of a publisher what should you run away from and one of the good things about the old paradigm is that word spread fast and in fact although my blog has kind of went under some renovation over the years if you google that pin name that I wrote it for LRS Cave with and LRS Cave Problems or LRS Cave Royalties, you can actually see some of my earlier works talking about that that were picked up by other blogs and syndicated. There was a lot of conversation. As I'm recording this, I'm thinking about a publisher that has not paid well or on time for probably five years now. Again, I'd have to check the dates on my blog, but I was one of the early people sounding alarms going, hey, this sounds like what LRS Cave did. And people are still submitting and signing to that publisher because they believe them. And that is one of the bad things that have happened with this new paradigm is because it is more open, because it is less siloed, which is a good thing, please don't get me wrong, it's also harder for newer authors to avoid the traps. 
because when I was coming up, there was a lot of Yogg's Law. There was a lot of conversation about this is how you avoid the traps. This is what you want to not see when you're submitting to a publisher. Here is a clue that your publisher is not going to serve you well. And those sort of things are kind of lost now out there in the blog. People are still talking about them. I'm still talking about them. But because there's just so much more information and it's so much more open, it's harder to find. So you have the traditional publishing, which, you know, if you want to do that, I support your decision 100%. But I want people to look at self-publishing too. Self-publishing, again, is where you pay for the editor, you pay for the cover artist, you pay for, you know, ads, you pay for everything, but you get all of the money, whatever that is, good or bad. And I feel like if you have a viable story to tell and you have a way to reach readers, this is the first but not the last time you'll hear me talk about a website and a newsletter. If you have ways to reach readers, if you have ways to, to tell people about your story, and or if you're just a, a person who likes to have that control, who's been burned a few too many times like I have been, then self-publishing is a lovely way to go. A hybrid author is one, again, that works both ways, that they have a story or a series that they tell to the publishing houses. They also have stories that they tell for their self-publishing. The current paradigm in this environment, speaking primarily to self-published and hybrid authors, because again, that's where my experience is, after going through, I lost count, a serious number of publisher implosions. Frankly, by 2005, 2006, I was done with publishers um, because I was just done with it. I had gone through a lot of names that if you've been around in the romance industry, as long as I have, you know, that's where you sit and you nod and you sip your alcoholic beverage of choice and try to forget about it. Um, and so with that, with the change in Kindle became the paradigm and the current paradigm is not just publish or perish as it is in academia, but the current paradigm is the faster you publish, the more money you make. And once you hit a certain magic number of books, you will start making money beyond your wildest dreams. And I have all the thoughts and all the feelings about that. And very few of them are good. If you are able to write fast, if you are able to afford all the ads, all the tricks, all the gimmicks that these marketing gurus push, if you are able to play the game, and I recently listened to a podcast where basically the author kept talking about being able to play the game and it clicked for me and I went, aha, that's why I want to build my own publishing paradigm for me personally, because I am so sick and tired of playing games. I have had to play games for 20 years in corporate America, actually much longer than that in, in corporate America and in school. And, you know, I'm tired. I want to be able to tell my stories, reach the readers that these stories will touch and to hell with everybody else, to be very honest with you. 
Um, and, and I feel like that that is a valid life choice. There are many reasons for that, which we will get into in future podcasts, especially when we talk about classism and ableism and racism and publishing, that the game, as that author called it, is really set up to enforce the status quo, to ensure that there is an upper class of authors who are able to make this money, who are able to consider themselves real authors. And we see this in some of the guidelines, for example, for writing organizations. It took, I don't know how many years, but a lot of them for the science fiction writers of America, for example, to acknowledge digital and self-published publications. And then they set a amount of money that they basically believe that professional writers make per book or per, for a year from publishing. And since I have not really, I, I tended to mix mine with romance, I have not tried to apply to the science fiction writers of America. Um, you know, that might be something I do down the road, we'll see. But it has long been a practice within the publishing industry to create a system of haves and have nots. And the current publishing paradigm really reinforces those haves and have nots. And so that's why we need to create a paradigm that works for us. If you are neurodivergent, if you are chronically ill, if you work a full-time job, if you are raising children, if you take care of other members of your family, there are a million ifs and very few of them play nicely with write as fast as you can and publish as fast as you can because that requires time, that requires money, and that requires an ability to tell stories in that way and not everybody's mind works that way. I don't want to say that that's a very neurotypical way of writing, but again, that's going to exclude people who need to take longer to develop a story. That's going to exclude people who don't have two, three, four hours a day to sit down and bang out 5,000 words a day. And there's books on Amazon to tell you how to write 5,000 words a day. You know, I probably got one sitting on my Kindle. Um, I may read it someday. I may not. But there's a lot of things about the current publishing paradigm that leaves a lot of people out. Which is why, frankly, it needs to be rethought. And so that's my goal here at the Holistic Author Podcast. Is I, as I discussed in the introduction, you know, the holistic author is combining mind, body, spirit. Basically making sure that you're telling the stories that you want to tell the stories that come from your heart, the stories that come from your spirit, your experiences, and that you're telling these stories in a way that works for you. Now, I, I want to say that if the 5,000 words a day publish a book a month model works for you, you know, that's fine. It also may mean that you're not the author that I'm talking to right now. And that's okay too, because there are as many ways to tell stories and as many ways to write books as there are people attempting to write books. And so I think I'm going to leave this podcast. We're coming up on almost 30 minutes. I'm going to leave this podcast with this thought. Think about no matter where you are in your publishing industry or in your publishing journey, think about what things would you keep from the current publishing paradigm and what things would you throw in the bin? 
If you want to, feel free to hop on over to the podcast website, podcast.eponaauthorsolutions.com. Give me your thoughts. Tell me what things you love about the current publishing paradigm. For me personally, I love self-publishing. I am writing these fantasy stories. I write about unicorns. I think that's all I have to say. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm very excited. I love writing the equestrian literature that I honestly thought I could never sell because there really wasn't a home for it, even in the digital first publishing landscape. And so I love writing the stories that touch me, that make me feel something when I'm writing them, that tell the stories that I wish I had to read all these years ago about one of my special interests, which is horses. Um, And being able to do that and having fun doing that and reaching readers who love my story as much as I do. And so that's what I love about the current publishing paradigm. And so that's what I'm focusing on. I want you to tell me what you love. Tell me what you would like to change about publishing. And then let's talk about it. Let's see what we can do to bring about these positive changes to make publishing a more welcoming and inclusive place. I hope to hear from you soon. And I hope you stay to listen to future episodes of the Holistic Author Podcast. I am Kit Kelsto, the author yogi. And it has been my pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Holistic Author Show, presented by Epona Author Solutions and distributed on the Epona Author Radio Network. I've been your host, Kit Kalestow, the author yogi. If you'd like to learn more about our show, check out our sponsors, or find out how to be a guest, visit podcast.eponaauthorsolutions.com. Title music is Dream House by Purple Planet Music. You can find out more about them at purple-planet.com. Until next time, be well.